everyone. After a short hiatus, you're listening to IASA's Additional Coverage Podcast, episode number 19. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me today for today's Additional Coverage Podcast episode, I'm pleased to welcome Lori Graham. Hi, how are you, Tim? Great. Good to have you. Lori is a Senior Vice President and Chief Risk Officer for American Agricultural Insurance Company. And today, we're going to talk about developing your risk appetite. But first, I would like to recognize the support that we receive from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. For example, did you know that members receive as much as $300 in savings on group registrations for the IASA exchange events? Find out more at IASA.org. And speaking of exchange, Lori, I'm happy that you're able to join us today for the podcast. Lori will be joining us actually in, um, in Minneapolis in June for the exchange conference. But today she's going to join me for some risky business. No, seriously, though, risk, risk assessment is something that every insurance company has to have at the forefront of their business. But beyond just risk assessment, we're here to talk about risk appetite. So, Lori, how would you describe risk appetite? What is it and why is it important to an insurance carrier? So risk appetite is the overall level of risk that your organization is willing to accept while in the pursuit of your mission and objectives. And it allows your company to determine how much risk you're willing to keep and how much risk you need to manage. Okay. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So how would an insurance company get started in determining what their risk appetite is and who should be involved in those conversations? How do you, let's start with, start here. How do you go about determining your risk appetite? So first we have to consider the industry that we're in and the requirements for that industry. And then you need to look at the culture of your company. Um, what are the values? Or is your company risk accepting, accepting or risk averse? And how do you incorporate those values into the amount of risk that your organization takes on in whole? The company's competitors are also of consideration. And you need to look at how they view risk because you're competing in the same environment with them. And then your goals and objectives, all of the risk-taking and risk appetite should be aligned with the mission, the vision, and the strategy of the organization. You also need to consider the financial strength of your company. Um, if you're in a situation where you're low on capital and you've had a lot of operating performance issues for a number of years, you're obviously going to have a more narrow risk appetite. If you're a company that is really strong capital-wise and you have good and probably predictable operating performance, which as predictable as it can be in our industry, then you can probably have more risk appetite. And then the final thing that I would consider and that we look at at our organization is how well we can manage the risk. So if we have good risk management capabilities, then we feel that maybe we could take more risk in those areas. But it's important to note that no matter what you come up with, risk appetite changes over time because all those things I just mentioned, they change. Our industry changes, our competitors change, our financial strength may change, and our capabilities may change. And so you need to look at internal factors. And maybe you have changes in board expectations or changes in leadership that you have to respond to, or maybe even changes to your organization's business model, which a lot of companies did during COVID. And then you also need to look at the external factors that impact your organization. So things like what your stakeholders expect from you 
and maybe regulators and rating agencies and what they're looking for in your company's performance. And then also demographic changes that impact your business and what you can write and not write and how it performs. Well, wow, that's a lot of things to keep in focus. How, <laughs> that's how why often, we use a framework. <laughs> yeah. How often do you sit down and reevaluate your risk appetite? We do it about, we, we do it once a year. But we found that, you know, over this last year, there's been such dramatic change in the external environment, economic change, political change, those types of things that we may, we got together more often and we may need to revisit that more than once a year because all the things that we assumed when we set that strategy, when we set that risk appetite, were rapidly changing. But typically it's once a year. Now, when you say we, who is we? Is you as the chief risk person, but you've got who else? Your president, your so our uh, CEO and yeah. So our CEO and the senior vice presidents, we all get together and we develop strategy. And then we look at the risk appetite and align strategy with risk appetite. And then the opposite as well, because those things that we assume when we're making strategy, we'll test with an economic capital model and we'll say, is this going to fit within the boundaries we've set with risk appetite? And then one or the other has to change. We either increase appetite or decrease appetite, or we change strategy. So those two things are aligned. They're both done in our organization by the executive leadership team. It is not the same at every company. I am on the executive leadership team and I am the chief risk officer. So I get to sit at both tables, which is helpful. But in some organizations, risk is separate and it just needs to go back and forth between those two areas and get aligned. And some companies, especially the small ones, may not even have a, a risk officer like you. So that is correct. Uh, do you have guidance that you would offer to them? Let, let me uh, change the, uh, the question up a little bit, because my corner of the world is insurance investments. And of course, there's risk that goes along with that, too. I know that companies where I've worked have investment guideline statements that direct their investment strategy. Would it also be wise for an insurance company to develop a risk appetite statement? And if so, what do you think that should look like? Absolutely. Um, until you articulate your risk appetite, until you actually put it in writing and share it with the people of your organization, how do you know that you're operating within its bounds? Um, and since risk appetite is the amount of risk that your organization is willing to assume, the statement puts those intentions into writing and it ties it to the company's broader business objectives and people can see why they're doing it. When statements are articulated and communicated, it helps the company better understand and manage the risk exposures by communicating the level of risk you're willing to take. It gives guidance to employees and helps them make risk-informed or risk-aware decisions. And it helps to allocate resources as you better understand risk and reward trade-offs. And it gives you something to monitor for compliance. And it's a great tool for improving transparency to the board and other stakeholders like rating and regulatory agencies. Sure. And what are the components of that risk statement? Are, the, the, are they the things that you were discussing earlier, the economic climate, the political climate? The, what do you think goes into that? So in the insurance industry, it's typically focused in four areas. One being capital adequacy, which is related to surplus. The second being operational performance, which um, a lot of companies measure by their combined ratio over a certain period of time. Um, and then liquidity, it's the ability for us to meet our payment obligations when they come due. And then stakeholder values. So maybe you measure that with your AMVEST rating or your some other rating that shows the reputation like a JD Powers and Associates rating of your company, You know the stakeholders, what they expect from you. 
They should also consider, like I said before, both internal and external context, because a lot of the things that are the top risks to strategy and the mitigations in place to manage those risks are something that needs to be continuously updated as well. So, but we've been we've been measuring within those four quadrants for several years now. Okay, have you seen poorly developed risk statements, or or where do you see companies <laughs> failing when it comes to this? You know, I think a risk statement needs to be simple enough that people understand it. It needs to be a metric that everyone in your organization can use. So if we say economic capital and we run an economic capital model, there might be people in my organization that don't really understand the parameters of that. That's how we test it. It's a tool. But if we said surplus, we don't want to lose more than X percent surplus in a one in 250 year return period. People understand that. People understand how much of our surplus they can put at risk when they're making underwriting decisions, things like that. So it is good to have something that people are familiar with, that they understand, and that it's clear, easy to follow, and concise. And that you just touched on my next question is, what risks are we evaluating? Is it underwriting risks only? Is it What, what all forms of risk are you evaluating? We look at strategic risks, operational risks, cultural risks. I'm trying to think of all the things off the top of my head here. We look at things like financial risks, market risks, all of the categories of risk that you normally have in an enterprise risk management framework. But the risks that are really getting managed in the capital model and being measured are those risks that have a significant or potential significant impact to our either operating performance or capital. So it's got to be something that if it happened, would have an impact on whether we could execute our strategy. So really a lot like everything else in the statutory world, kind of forensic. What ha- what's, the, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, it, it's the worst, but we don't look at the, the to the far end of the tail because you can't manage your business like Armageddon is going to happen every day. But yeah. we look within a, a reasonable degree of certainty. So, yes. Do you have any uh, other thoughts that on anything that we didn't cover? You know, I think a risk appetite statement can be something that is qualitative or quantitative. A lot of companies try so hard to quantify some things that they can't especially when I said the quadrant of stakeholder value, it's very difficult sometimes to find a metric. So it could be a description of a state of, of, of being. And then it also could be something that has an overarching statement that has three or four statements below it. Or you could use terms like high, medium, and low to start out with. You know, we, this is what we pursue. And so we have a high appetite for this. These are things we want to avoid. So we have a low appetite or no appetite for this. But also, I think to be successful at managing appetite, the company should have a strong independent risk function. It's difficult to have a statement when you can't align all of the pieces. And you need top-down support from the executive level because people won't respond to it if it isn't something that they think leadership values. And then good capacity for change management, because you've got to try to embed this into your organization and a risk culture that accepts and integrates risk decisions into capital planning, business strategy, and just everyday risk taking. And companies that do this can optimize on risk taking and capitalize on the associated opportunities. You know, we've used our appetite statement to evaluate, do we want to take on this new opportunity? And if we do, how much are we willing to put at stake to do this? And when you have kind of these guardrails with appetite and tolerances around that, it helps you decide whether you're willing or not willing to engage. It helps you establish policy and, and the things Absolutely. that 
each department needs to look at and consider and training opportunities that need to happen as well. There's all kinds of things that can be offshoots of that, particularly when it's coming from the C-suite. Absolutely. Well, great. Thank you so much. Uh, That's about all the time that we've got for today's podcast. Lori, I really appreciate you taking a few moments to share your knowledge with me. If our listeners would like to reach out to you, what's the best way that they can contact you? You could email me at lgram, G-R-A-H-A-M, at aaic.com. Now, I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Okay. Terrific. And if you're listening and you have some comments about the show, or if you have show suggestions, or you want to be on the podcast, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Until next time, I'm Tim Hicks with today's guest, Lori Graham. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss a new episode when it comes out. If you have coworkers that would benefit from our content, please let them know about the show too so they can follow along as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time.